I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Well, today is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and the fourth Sunday has its own special title. This is Good Shepherd Sunday. In our three-year lectionary, each year takes a section of John chapter 10, which is known as the Good Shepherd Discourse. Today, in year A, we get the first 10 verses of this chapter. In year B, we get verses 11 to 18, then verses 19 to 21, they actually get skipped, and finally, year C closes things out with verses 22 through 30. As a result, what we have today is not quite what we expect, given the title. Today's gospel actually says very little about sheep, and the Good Shepherd never shows up. Our psalm and epistle mention sheep, but again, the focus is not on the Good Shepherd. This year, instead of shepherds, we have Jesus talking about architectural elements. Jesus says, I am the gate, and that all who enter will be saved. Now, I don't know about you, but to my ears, the word saved has an awful lot of baggage. There is a movie back in 2004 titled Saved that comes to my mind. But just what exactly does that term mean anyway? Does this mean we get to go to heaven when we die? Is this something that we patiently wait around for? Is it a reward for being nice? I think a lot of us think we know what it means to be saved. It's the image that our culture teaches us, that when we die, we go to heaven and collect some wings and maybe a harp. The funny thing is that Jesus doesn't seem to think it has anything to do with dying. Rather, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What Jesus says here is that we've got our focus all wrong. He's not telling us to wait until death. He's saying that he's the gate into a whole new way of being, alive. Life is not just about life after death in John. It's about life right now. Jesus says, I am the gate. And the mystery here is that where we enter is also what we enter. Baptism is our way into the sheepfold. By our profession of faith and the word and water, Christ welcomes us, not just into a building, not just into St. Anne's, not just into a community, but into himself. In Paul's words, you are hid with Christ in God. You are hid with Christ in God. Now that's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to have life and have it abundantly. It's to be hid with Christ and to participate in the very life of God himself. Salvation isn't getting a ticket into heaven or about what we know or what we do. Instead, it's about who we are a part of. When we are bound into Christ, we're in touch with the root of all reality. Now, have you ever had one of those moments, maybe looking at a piece of art or something around you, when suddenly a small detail catches your eye? You focus on it, but then as you study it closer, realize that there's more to it, that it's part of something bigger, something much bigger and more complex than that small detail that you first noticed. And, as, and that as your gaze expands, you find yourself surrounded and dwarfed by it. Now that's part of what it means to find yourself hid with Christ 
participating in the life of God, to realize that you are part of something much greater, much grander than you've ever imagined. Life going on all around you. Now, sure, you might be thinking, those are some great metaphors, but what do you really mean? What does this really look like? Now, I'd point you first to the lesson from Acts, where it shows us a picture of the early church taking seriously what it means to be a family of believers, not just worshiping God together, but caring for one another and taking care of one another. What I see when I hear the lesson is not just people sitting around praying all the time, but something more profound. I see people with a purpose, a goal, a fundamental orientation that guides how they spend their money, how they spend their time, and not being sucked into the many diversions and games with which we humans are so eager to distract ourselves. It's about love. It's about loving God, loving neighbor, loving those closest to you. One of the issues of being human is that it's so easy for us to get distracted from the most important things in life. We let ourselves get convinced that power, prestige, possessions are the most important things, or worse yet, the entertainments of life. Now, I'm sure you've heard it said that very few people on their deathbed lament not spending more time at the office. It's equally true that very few people wish they had binged on more shows on Netflix or finished more side quests in Skyrim or spent more time scrolling their phones. And yet, how do we spend our time? How many minutes do we let get sucked away, never to be seen or heard from? The invitation to life abundant is an invitation into a life defined by God's desires, by God's priorities, seeking and serving Christ in all persons, loving our neighbors as ourselves, striving for justice and peace among all people, and respecting the dignity of every human being, all woven within by the continual reorientation to God provided by the life of faith, continuing in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers. Are we leaving this life better than we found it? Or are we frittering away our time with things that ultimately don't matter? But Christ's invitation to life abundant is just that. It's an invitation. It's something we can do. It's not something we must do. We are invited into it, not something we are compelled into. We can choose to live the life abundant or choose to live the life distracted and diffused. And this invitation begins with baptism, not with dying. Christ is inviting us to participate in God's life now, to share a real relationship with him now. And perhaps this relationship is what Jesus is talking about when he refers to the sheep coming in and going out and finding pasture. And this moves us to Psalm 23. Just like salvation, a lot of people connect this familiar psalm with death because it's so often read at funerals. But it's not about death either. It's also about life. It turns out that when we're used to hearing it at funerals, the early church was used to hearing it at baptisms. At that point in our history, baptisms were done at night at the Easter vigil. As the newly baptized were coming up out of the water and being clothed in white robes, the church community would begin singing Psalm 23. 
Coming from the dark baptistries, the church would be blazing with lights, and the first sound the new Christians heard was this psalm being sung all around them. Psalm 23 is one of those texts that we are used to feeling rather than really reading. If you look carefully at it, you'll see it has two parts. The first part is the one that comes to mind first, and that's why it's appointed for today. It's the shepherd part. The psalm uses lots of pastoral images. We have shepherds, the green pastures, still waters, the rod and staff. But then the metaphors change. The psalm shifts gears. While the first part works with a clear central metaphor, the Lord is my shepherd, the second part doesn't make such a clear statement. We have to figure out what it is by the images we get. Spreading a table, anointing with oil, an overflowing cup. All of these give us a clue, but the last line is what gives it away. To dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The unspoken metaphor that drives the second part is God as the generous host. He invites us in, he gives us food and drink, all that we need, and then some. The overflowing cup is a Hebrew sign for abundance, abundant food, abundant life. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Just as baptism binds us into Christ, so a table is spread before us today. Coming to the altar each Sunday for communion is a reminder of the abundant life that God provides for us and for one another, and of his ongoing invitation into an ever closer relationship with him. For at the altar, we meet another great mystery. The God who is the host gives himself to us as the feast itself, eating the true bread that came down from heaven, drinking the true vine, we are drawn deeper into the life of God. Another facet of the mystery is that we share the bread and cup as one body. All of us who have been baptized are bound not just to Christ, but through him to one another as well. As we grow in love towards God, we grow in love towards one another too. And these acts of love, simple acts of sharing and caring are yet another facet of having life and having it abundantly. Now you know there's a good reason why we have Psalm 23 at funerals. Not only because it has beautiful images of God guiding us through the valley of the shadow of death and dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, but also because it's about life, life abundant. The life-hating God doesn't end at our death, of course. As Paul says when talking about baptism, if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, so will we be united with him in a resurrection like his. Every Episcopal funeral is kept as a feast of the resurrection, recalling our Easter proclamation that death doesn't have the last word. We have been given life, life abundant, that not even death can destroy. I am the gate, Jesus said, whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we celebrate your overflowing love and we give thanks to you for all that we have, all that we are. We know abundance because of you. May we offer thanks to you by sharing what you have blessed us with, our talents, our graces, our spiritual as well as material goods. May we live in your light and in your love during this Eastertide 
and during all the seasons of life. Amen.